Welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer Speaks. Today we've got a fantastic show set up for you. Um, but before we get into that, we always get new listeners. And so I'd like to share a little bit about Alzheimer Speaks, who we are and what we do. Bottom line, Alzheimer Speaks was uh, created due to my own mother living with the disease for 30 years. And so we are an advocacy-based company um, providing multiple platforms to help shift our dementia care culture around the world from crisis to comfort. And we're also considered a media outlet um, by many just because of the different platforms that we use. We truly believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about dementia, we're going to be able to help remove stigma and raise awareness and give people hope which they so badly need. At our core, we also believe that collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know that that's working. And it's only working because of each and every one of you. You see your likes, your clicks, and your shares with all of our resources, not only the radio show, but our Dementia Chats webinars where I interview people with dementia, our blog, um, our resource directory, our YouTube channel, all of the different mediums that we have, um, when you share those with your spheres, if it's your um, Twitter tribe, if it's your Facebook friends, if it's your Pinterest peeps, if it's your LinkedIn colleagues, you are pushing information and knowledge out there for people to grab. And there's so many people dealing with this disease who really kind of haven't come out of the closet. Maybe they're still in denial. Maybe they're not ready to grab that information. But the more we see information that we're in need of, the easier it is for us to grab and feel like it's part of the norm. And so for that, I want to thank you because you got us recognized by Maria Shriver as a architect of change. And Dr. Oz in ShareCare um, recognized us as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's disease. And again, that is not something we take lightly. We definitely share with all of you because we by far did not do that alone. I also like to let our listeners know that, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you'll be our next guest. Um, we love to interview everybody on the show. So if you're living with the disease or if you're having some symptoms, if you're caring for somebody, maybe you have a business, a product, or a tool that you'd like to share. Maybe you're a researcher, um, a doctor, um, maybe you're an advocate. Maybe you're just somebody who has some ideas on how things need to change about our dementia care culture. We would love to talk with you. Um, so please reach out to me. Just go to alzheimerspeaks.com, and on our homepage, there's a great big Contact Us button. And, you know, shoot me an email, give me a call, um, tweet me on Twitter, and, um, and let's go ahead and connect. Or you can always find me on Facebook, too. Uh, we have a cruise that we're doing um, this November. We are very excited about going to the Caribbean. And no, we're not going to be chasing the hurricanes. Um, our ports may change, but we are still going to be going on the cruise. And we are very, very excited because this is more than just visiting ports. We are going to be developing friendships and I think a level of camaraderie that people are really missing and we have a fantastic team to support those that are going on this cruise. It is developed for people with dementia as well as their um, loved ones or care partners, which may be family or friends or could be professional. And we have four people uh, living with dementia that will be that are actually on our educational team: Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shearer, and Mary Reed that will be speaking along with Linda, uh, Cindy Lazinski, who is heading up a dementia-friendly community in northern Colorado, and Becky Watson, who is a music therapist. So 
Uh, again, just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and you can get more information about our dementia-friendly cruise and symposium. Also on our homepage, you will find some helpful hints when dealing with dementia. Feel free to go ahead and download those as well. Well, let's introduce our guest today. She is back with us, and we are just thrilled to have um, Nancy Krisman back uh, back on the show. She was with us in March of uh, 2016, and at that time, she talked about her book, The Mindful Caregiver. And for those of you who are new to her, um, Nancy is a licensed geriatric social worker in Atlanta, and she has more than 35 years of experience working with people with dementia and their families. Today we're going to be talking about her her recent book that she just launched called Meaningful Connections, Positive Ways to Be Together When a Loved One Has Dementia. So welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much. It's a real honor and blessing for me to be a part of this today. And my, my hope and goal is that there'll be some takeaways that families and care partners can actually go back and, and feel excited and inspired to, to utilize. Wonderful. Um, before we get started um, with our discussion, and I know you're just going to be a wealth of knowledge for people, um, it's always nice for our listeners to know if you have been, you know, personally touched by dementia with family or friends. Absolutely. Um and, you know, people always ask me, did you go into the field because you had a family member that had some sort of dementia? And I say, no, I didn't. I actually was mid, midway into my, my career when my mother, um, at the age of almost 72, was diagnosed with probable Alzheimer's and lived with it to be 87. And while I was not her primary caregiver, meaning that, you know, she didn't live with me, um, I definitely was her, her family advocate and, um, and really tried to, to help her from very beginning to, to the end. And then um, I was blessed to help a, another individual by the name of Jim, who um, had no family and about 20 years ago started working with him um, through a friend connection and was his social worker and then ultimately became his power of attorney for healthcare and finances and really became like a family member to me and vice versa. And he just died about a year ago and he had, um, I would say, more vascular dementia than Alzheimer's type. So I've had two very, very dear close people to me um, that have had, you know, cognitive um, impairment. And of course, you know, hundreds of families and, and folks that I've worked with um, living with dementia and trying to support and care for people living with dementia. Wonderful. Now, um, you know, I loved your first book, The Mindful Caregiver, um, and, I, and I, I just adore this book here that um, you have now called The Meaning, Meaningful Connections. Um, it's so easy to read. It has great tips. Um, and I just think it'll end up being a little Bible that people are going to have. And I, it looks like it's useful for um, all generations in terms of interacting with somebody with dementia. What inspired you to really write the book? Well, you know, it's very interesting. Um, when my mom was diagnosed with dementia, I even pri a little bit prior to it, um, in my practice, I would go into assisted living communities and nursing homes, and and I noticed that people that are living with dementia have a spirit and a soul and a heart. And even though they may have some challenges with their memory and being able maybe to communicate in the way that we're all used to sort of communicating with, I felt like if we could touch into those parts of them, that they would have more meaningful connections and, and a more meaningful, you know, life in a sense. And then really what snapped it for me was my mom, when she um, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, there were a couple of things that, that, that I thought to myself around with her. She was going to, she's a strong-willed lady. She was in good shape. I knew she was going to live with the disease for a long time. And I wanted to keep her spirit alive. And at the same time, I didn't want my spirit to become so depleted by her disease that I had nothing to give to her or anybody in my life. And um, 
And then I just remember one day in particular, I was visiting with her. This was when she was um, in um, a assisted living community and she was sitting in the dining room and everybody kind of was sitting there. Nobody was talking to anybody. It was very quiet and people kind of looked like they were half asleep. And my mother turned to me and she said, do you think these people are, are all dead? And I, I looked at her and I thought to myself, that's what the spirit in this room feels like, you know? And, um, and so it was really, that really propelled me to be thinking about how do I help my clients that are supporting people living with dementia to have more inspired engagement? Um, because so often all you hear is, you know, I can't talk to my husband anymore. I don't know what to say to my, my um, mother. Um, you, you know, I, I, we sit each other and stare, or she asked me the same thing over and over again, and I leave just feeling miserable, and I really wanted to make a difference that way. So I kind of practiced on my mom, and then I practiced some more on Jim and shared things, you know, with my, um, the folks I've been counseling and, and guiding um, for all these years. Wonderful. Um, why don't you define for us what you mean by meaningful connections? Okay. So, um, again, one of the things that became super clear to me um, was that there's a lot of people doing activities with people. And, you know, you go into communities, you go into day centers, you go into senior centers, and we want to focus on what we call person-centered care and person-centered activity, but I'm not so sure we're doing the best job with that. Um, we're, we're providing activities and things that don't always help people feel a connection. And, um, and so to me, when I think about what is a meaningful connection with somebody, you're really connecting into their joy, their joy place, you know, their spirit, their heart. You're focusing on being with them instead of doing for them. You're paying attention to how you feel when you are with that person. Because if you're feeling dispirited and unhappy and angry and anxious and, you know, then that gets communicated um, to your care recipient or your loved one. So that's really, really important. That kind of goes along um, with my mindful caregiver stuff in terms of talking about being intentional and being mindful. And Meaningful connection is really being in the moment. It's really giving your full attention to the person that you're with and recognizing that you often will have to be the initiator, um, especially as people decline more and have more challenges with their communication and um, their ability to understand and to remember and to take in information and stuff. So that's kind of what I mean um, by meaningful connections. And I kind of, if you, if you don't mind me just sharing this, I then move into meaningful engagement. So in order to have meaningful engagement, you have to have connection. Yep. And which is why I kind of don't like thinking about it as only person-centered care, because to me, it's really relationship-centered care that um, it's so important when you're, when you're with somebody. I mean, if you think about yourself, I mean, part of what we love about life is sharing and connecting and being with. And so meaningful engagement, if you play a game with somebody, but you don't have a connection to that person, if you're not really with that person and you're just sort of doing for, mm -hmm. then it's not a meaningful connection or meaningful engagement. Yep. And, um, and then I also think that meaningful engagement really does depend on you. I mean, that was, that was the big takeaway for me with my mom that as her illness, and that's what I really tried to um, give guidance to, to families in this book, um, is that as a person declines, which they will, we have to learn how to adjust the way we connect and the way we engage. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that we have to be willing to plan how we spend time together. Yep. Very, very true. And I, I think that's such an important point to, you know, talk about that engagement, that connection, because um, if there isn't that true connection, you're just doing a task. 
Someone told exactly. you. Someone told you you had to. You know, if it's family or if it's your boss, it doesn't make any difference. It's just a task. And and there's it's, such a difference when you actually want to be there, and and feel yes, feel like absolutely. you're getting and and receiving something from from participating. What are some of the key things you think that people need to consider when they're visiting? a loved one um, or friend um, who has dementia? Well, again, um, I think that there's two things that you have to sort of look at, um, two different ways of spending time with people. One is if you're spending time with somebody outside of their home. So, for example, well, what I mean by that is if they're in assisted living or in a nursing home or even in a hospital or, or, or wherever. Um, and then there's a different type of way of being with somebody when, when they're in their own home. So there are a couple of things that I say to people that are generalized, which is one, you always want to try to visit with and spend time with somebody when they're at their best. And meaning that we find that um, as the disease progresses, that people get tired more quickly as the day wears on. And so I usually recommend to families, no matter whether somebody's at home or whether they're in a community, that it's best for them, they're going to probably have their best time morning to early part of afternoon, that visiting in the evening or at night can be kind of trying for people. Now that's, you know, everybody's unique, so you, you want to pay attention to that. And then another thing that's common for both, whether it's home or in an assisted living or facility, is you, this is something I realized very quickly, is that you, the person visiting or spending time with, need to connect to your own heart and spirit. You need to check in with yourself and say, wait, you know, am I in a place where I really want to be here? I really want to spend time with my loved one. I really want to make a difference for the two of us. Um, and I, I can tell you that there were times, you know, even as mom's dementia became, you know, more significant, if I came to visit her, cause I felt I had to, you know, it was, I got to do this. I, you know, I've committed myself to it and I'd get there and I'd be exhausted. Mm-hmm. She could, she could sense that. Oh, totally. Or if I was angry, cause I didn't really want to be there. Yeah. So I, I give families and care partners permission you don't have to go. You want to go when you feel that you can have some quality. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think and then, that's really, yeah, I think that that's yeah. a really important, um, important thing to identify for people. Because um, if you, like you said, if you're there and you don't want to be there, even if you put a little smile on your face and, and pretend life is okay, um, they're reading right through that, and then they're going to mirror. Absolutely. Then they're going to mirror back our attitude, and then we get mad at them when they were fine until we walked into the room, you know, with it. And and I think that that's really important to check in, because if we're not in the zone to have a good time, we're not gonna have a good time. I mean, if that's absolutely, our, if we don't feel like we have enough time and you know, this is taking away instead of adding value, it's going to affect the relationship. It's going to affect the interaction. And so I think that that's a really critical piece for people to to be honest about. Um, you know, I know people worry about, you know, being there all the time because a person with dementia doesn't always remember, but quality of visits is critical as well. And, you know, there's lots of ways, um, Lori, that I share with my families and and I did with my own mom. And I just, you know, I still I I put together engagement care plans for families all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, and particularly for people, you know, we're really talking about people now that are at a point in in their you know disease process or whatever, where where they're having, you know, more significant cognitive issues. And so they may not have good short term memory or maybe even a little long term. And we want them to have, you know, successful experiences and, and things. And so, you know, I tell people, why don't you put together a visiting book? And because my mom, you know, I learned this quickly on, she'd say, you never come and see me. And, you know, in the beginning, it, it, here I am, you know, 15 years into my career, and I'd go back at her and say, mom, I was just here yesterday. Don't you remember? And then I realized that is not what I'm supposed to be doing with her. You know, she doesn't remember. and 
and I don't need to get irritated about it. Um, and so I, I then started, you know, I found this really pretty sort of little notebook that, um, that had some really lovely, you know, pages and things in it. And, and I would ask people, including myself, that when we came to visit, we would share a little bit about what our visit was like mm-hmm. and date it. And then that way, mom, you know, one, if she says to me, well, you never come, I, I could come back at her and say, mom, you know, I love you so much. Look, look at this book. You know, I made this book for you and look how many visits we've had together and then start reading some of them to her. Mm-hmm. Now, she may not remember them, but, you know, the fact that she can tell that I, I care, I mean, that's the other piece that's so, you know, so important mm-hmm. is, um, again, it's just that caring connection mm-hmm. and um, joining in the heart in the spirit of people, it just makes such a world of difference. Yeah. When you feel safe and secure, I mean, there's nothing much better than that, you know, and, and being with a loved one, um, and, and that emanating between the two of you, that's pretty huge, huge piece of the pie. But you know, um, Lori, the one thing I, I really wanted to make sure that I mentioned today, because this is something that I, I could probably have written a lot more about, but I was trying to keep the book, you know, sort of simple and to the point. But one of the things that people share with me a lot is that, and I think this is where they get stuck, mm-hmm. is they often, when they, when they go to visit with somebody who has, you know, more cognitive impairment now, they still are looking for that person to be like they always were. Mm-hmm. And I think about this one example that I, um, it just sticks out so strongly for me. It was a, a spouse who had been married for like 45 years to her husband, and he was an English professor. And she always, she described him as somebody who was incredibly articulate, engaging, interesting, and she just loved spending time with him. He would read poetry to her. You know, he just had all these interesting stories to share. And now she goes and visits him, you know, and he's in a memory care, and she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to be with him, and she leaves feeling so depressed Mm -hmm. and she doesn't know how to connect. And so I realized that there were two things that she needed to sort of have some support around. One was just the grieving process of recognizing that his condition has changed the way he's able to present himself like he used to. And that's called anticipatory grieving. And she needs to give herself some time and space for that. But then I wanted her to say, you know, let's look at seeing how we can adjust and find new ways to connect to your husband and, you know, ways to maybe celebrate his accomplishments and talk to him about the things that the two of you used to enjoy and maybe read to him. Mm -hmm. And when I gave her those ideas and also helped her understand, you know, the grieving piece of this. Because I think what was happening was she was continually frustrated. And again, she was trying to put him in a place that he couldn't be anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I um, yeah, totally understand that one. And that's, I think that, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a very common struggle for families. Very, very common struggles. Why don't you share with us some of the ideas that you discuss in your book to to help people with engagement? Well, I think, again, I, I, I'm going to sort of sound like a broken record, but I, um, before I actually get into the ideas, which will take, I'll get there in a second, I just want people to remember that you don't have to be perfect at this stuff. You don't have to be somebody that is super creative. Um you know, you, I don't want caregivers to feel that I'm imposing things on them. And, and now they've got to take even more time to come up with these ideas. Um, so what I tried to do for them, um, and it, it is in, in um, the, sort of the largest chapter in the book, is to think about act, what I call activity um, categories. Mm-hmm. And these are the areas uh, in which people can find ways to connect. And there's, you know, maybe 10 or 12 of them, um, for example, and then I'll give you some specific examples of how to do it. But, you know, for example, there's cooking activities, there's music activities, creativity activities, hobby, cultural, 
pets, intergenerational, even ADLs, Mm -hmm. physical exercise. And and so what I tried to do um, was to make it very simple so that when people said, you know, my mom used to really enjoy cooking, but she can't, you know, follow a recipe anymore. You know, her short-term memory is not so great, but she still enjoys eating and she likes smelling the food. And, you know, she may enjoy cooking with me. And so, for example, with my own mom, even though she lived in assisted living in a nursing home, I would bring a crock pot, an electric skillet, a waffle maker, um, a blender. And mom and I, and of course, you have to adapt the activity based on the amount of focus and and attention somebody can give something. Mm -hmm. But even people who, you know, are not able to focus very much, boy, they can smell that you're making chocolate chip cookies or you're making waffles on a waffle grill iron and, um, and you can talk to them. You know, I think sometimes we feel because people don't understand potentially that they don't, that we should talk down to them or we shouldn't really talk to them as if they do understand. And I, I come from a very different place around that. I mean, I, I come from a place where I think, you can't expect people to respond back to you necessarily, but it's certainly okay to sit with somebody and say, mom, you have made the best waffles in the whole world. And, you know, I'm using your recipe now and she may not connect her. You know, it's hard to know what she's connecting to or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I make that point because I think that sometimes we, we give up too soon on people in the sense of not giving them opportunities to really um, have meaningful connections with us. And um, so like with cooking, you know, there's just a whole bunch of things that families can do in terms of looking at, you know, libraries are wonderful resources to get, you know, you go to the librarian and you ask them, can you, I found with a man who who used to love um, cars and stuff like that, I found a cookbook, the whole cookbook was on NASCAR. Uh-huh. And it was all, all these cars with like recipes that they might have like chili and, you know, sort of man food, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, but there's a lot of um, creative things um, and, and things you can do that magazines, um, looking through recipes, looking through pictures when people are no longer able to read or, you know, spend a whole lot of time. And like I said, um, sometimes people can do some mixing and you know, play around with the ingredients a little bit. Um, there, so that's just one idea for cooking. And then reading, I think people forget how powerful reading and can be to people. And there is nothing wrong with, uh, you know, I used to bring, my mom had this book that was, I still have it. It's got to be, I don't know, well, I'm 60. So it's a lot of years old. And it's got all these wonderful nursery rhymes and nursery stories and things that my mom would read to me when I was little. And I brought the book and I would read to her those same stories and I, and rhymes. And I would say, mom, you know, I just used to love when you'd get in bed with me and we'd read these stories and she really appreciated it. And um, so I think there's lots of um, magazines and newspapers and books of poetry and limericks I mean, mom and I, when she started losing her ability to to communicate real well, you know, she'd get her word, like a word salad all mixed up. Mm -hmm. And we would say, you know, like, remember Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers and stuff like that. Well, you know, she'd mess it all up. And then the two of us start laughing, you know, and it wasn't meant to be laughing at her or juvenile. It was a way to to be silly and to connect, you know? And um, so and I did that a lot with Jim too. I mean, we would sometimes, he loved when I sang with him and I don't have the best voice in the world, but again, you know, I just knew he enjoyed it and I knew what kinds of music he liked. And if I didn't know all the words, you know, I would either try to find them on the internet because you can find everything nowadays. So the idea is to think about, you know, what activity categories, you know, might really spark a connection. I mean, that's what you're focusing on, you know, and, and, and try different things um, because, you know, people say, well, they used to love their garden. Well, you know, there's lots of things you can do in gardening. Um, you can bring in cut flowers, you can decorate pots and make garden makers. And these are 
lovely activities, you know, to do with kids with mm-hmm. their grandparents. You can bring in herbs. Um, you, you know, you can make a garden activity box, which I, I want to talk with um, a little bit later as I talk to you about some of these really cool activity boxes. So are these some of the things you were asking that you'd like for me to share? I don't know how much to keep on going. I could go for hours. No, I, no, I think, I think it's wonderful. Um, you know, you're like, I got to give you, an, I got to give you another example. And um, sure. cause this is, and I didn't mean to just sort of interrupt, but this was so much fun. I never in my life realized how much fun you can have with a drum. And, you know, you just get yourself a little bongo drum. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I would, I would go, um, and I tried this out with a group of, you know, like four or five residents. What I would do to visit with my mom is I would sometimes bring other residents around with her so that, you know, there might be five of us. And that way it helped me not have to just visit one-on-one with mom. And it would help her feel like she's in a community in a way. And so I would take the drum and I would drum, you know, I'd make the noise, hello, how are you? You know, and I kind of pound it out. Mm-hmm. And then I would bring the drum over to one of them and I'd say, drum back. And, or I'd take their hands if, you know, if they maybe couldn't do it initially. And the smiles and the laughter, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, and that's what I tried to do in this book is to give folks, you know, as many ideas as possible so that when they spend time, it's intentional planned time. Mm-hmm. You know, agree, agree. I was looking in your your book, and one of the things that I saw was you had um, you have a section on activities of daily living, or uh, yes. staff will refer to that as ADLs. And one right. of the things for females, you have uh, polish or nails, you know, wash, set or comb or hair, apply makeup, massage the hands with a really nice smelling lotion, um, have fun with accessories and scarves and jewelry and you know we're just um picking out outfits you know when you're going uh out for a special occasion and those are all things we did you know with my mom my daughter would Mm -hmm. never go to the nursing home without fingernail polish in her purse i always had i always had a bottle of lotion and you know words aren't always needed and and yet these connections are so strong and i have a uh a story of a, a little girl who was going to uh, um, going to counseling uh, for some issues that she had, and she brought her nail polish one time mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. her therapist, and, and yep. it was a man, and he allowed her to paint, you know, his nails. And I remember kind of debriefing afterwards, and and he just said, "That is such an intimate activity." He's like, "I never, I've never had my nails polished before, so I didn't <laughs> know that." And he's like, but it's really very healing. And, you know, he, and he could sense for, for, for the little girl that it was healing for her. But he said for himself, too, it was just really just a very comforting to see her take the time and the patience. And, you know, you have to be gentle and, and precise mm-hmm. and just the care, you know, because it, it really is a loving type care. And I think we kind of take a lot of that stuff for granted. And yet, absolutely, and, absolutely. And yet, when somebody does that to us, I mean, I know I love going in for my pedicures and manicures and, and things, mm-hmm. and that isn't with a loved one, but it's just someone to just take care of of that for me is a really big thing, and that doesn't change when somebody has dementia, you know. So. Absolutely not, and it, in fact, it can be even more meaningful. I mean, I used to share with with families as much as I possibly could. You know, when mom lost her ability to walk and when she couldn't, you know, communicate very well at all, I would do a spa day with her. Mm-hmm. And I would ask um, the, the hairstylist if I could go in to the hair, you know, salon and bring mom in there by myself. And that's exactly what I did. And she loved it. And it was primarily just, you know, kind of rubbing her hair and, um, washing it um when she started getting scared with the water then i you know i would get the um no rinse soap Mm -hmm. because it was like i was like sort of massaging her head and that felt really good you know you always want to be careful and see where people are and what they're comfortable with 
Um, I think about Jim, Jim had two, he had a bald spot in the middle of his head and then he had, you know, two sides of little bit of hair Mm -hmm. and he loved as he was becoming, you know, more impaired with his dementia. Um, he loved when I would sit with him and put some really nice lavender cream and rub his, you know, the top of his head that was bald and then rub his neck. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, again, you know, some men like that, some women do, you know, you just have to kind of know, but it's worth trying because for spouses, you know, one of the things that they miss so much is that closeness and that intimacy. And this is a way to kind of have it in, you know, in a different way, but it's a meaningful way. Exactly. I'm just going to throw out just so I'm even here, the ideas that you had for men, for ADLs, um, shaving sure. his face, um, putting on aftershave, just that that cologne, you know, um, mm-hmm. can bring back memories. Shining shoes, filing fingernails, um, trying on different hats or ties, um, putting on familiar spelling again, colognes. Uh, these are all really simple things to do, but I, I remember my dad with brain cancer and again, shaving his face, um, you know, with mm-hmm. a, with a stick, and then we ended up going to the electric, um, you know. And it's just, you know, it, it's a kind of a for me, it was a trial and error because I'd never shaved a man before, right. you know, <laughs> and stuff. So, you know, he would he would kind of guide me on what to do and how to do it, and so um, it was very interactive, and yet made him feel really, really good and. You know, shoes you can shine if they're business shoes or if they're tennis shoes. Sure. It doesn't make any difference Absolutely. With, with, Absolutely. with things like that. And, and, wearing, and, and the shoehorn, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jim used to love, I, had, I looked everywhere to try to find a darn shoehorn. Cause, and he was insistent on one of those shoe shine electric things. You know, you plug it in and I don't even know if people know what these are anymore. But um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep. You know, that had like the, the yeah. little buffers. And, yep. um I actually found one at a garage sale and brought it to him. And he was like in heaven Mm because that was something he really enjoyed um, doing for himself. And um, I don't know if he did it for her father when he was a kid. I mean, I remember shining my, my parent, my dad's shoes when I was a girl. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. um, Yeah. But that ADL stuff is, is really important. And um, you know, I think that we, we don't think of it as an engagement, mm-hmm. but it really, really is. Yeah. If you do it that way, Ex- you know. Exactly. You also have um, a section, you know, you've got a section here on physical activities and on hobbies and music and, yes. like you said, cooking and reading and life profession. I, I, you know, that doesn't end. And that's such a big part of who we are. You know, um, you just have great um, great information um, in but, here. But do you mind? Uh, I want to share another story, just sure. real brief, that um, around life profession because this was probably um, one of the most. Oh gosh, it was like such a sacred time with this gentleman that I was working with. He um, he was a physician and very well known here in the Atlanta metro area, and um, his dementia, you know, became. Um, more and more significant. And he went from independent, you know, to assisted. And I was working with him and his family the whole time. But when he got into the nursing home, he still, I mean, absolutely remembered he was a doctor. And so, of course, we told the staff, you know, that he had to be addressed that way. But one of the things that I did with him was I made him the unit director there uh, in the sense of he had his own chart, Um, You know, we brought in the white coat for him, the stethoscope around his neck, and he couldn't he couldn't communicate at all verbally. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was so incredible was how he still, you know, rose to the occasion when it came to be. I mean, he, he actually grabbed somebody's chart by mistake and he he was able to still read. He couldn't speak, He couldn't verbalize. And he pointed to a medication that I think, you know, the staff thought might not be the right medicine. (laughs) I mean, he was just, you know, people can hold on to stuff so long. And then at the very end, because I think this is another piece that I have in the, in the book about end of life, you know, visiting with people at the end of life. So he was in a Jerry chair, like a lounge kind of chair. And I was still visiting with him. And 
you know, my visits were no more than 15, 20 minutes generally. And I would play music or say prayers with him or something. Well, this particular day I went and he was sound asleep. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, do I need to stay with him or not? You know, his family's paying me. And, you know, I kind of felt ethically a little funny about it. And then I said, you know, I'm going to stay. So I sat with him and I picked up his hand, you know, just very gently. And I started talking to him because I remember him saying early on when he was still communicating well, Nancy, you know, doctoring is so different now. You know, um, in the olden days, we used to actually use our hands. We would touch the patient. We would you know, we would really feel their heart, you know, with our hands and, mm-hmm. and touch their skin and their face. And now they just bring in computers. And so here he was, you know, laying there very comfortable. And I started talking to him and saying to him very quietly, you know, Dr. H, I just, you know, your hands, they have touched so many patients over the years and you've brought so much healing to them. And I, just kind of repeated that almost like a mantra. Mm -hmm. And I did it for like 15, 20 minutes. He didn't wake up, you know, and I gently rubbed his hands, but I felt like he might've heard me. Mm -hmm. And I I really felt like it was a very powerful visit. Oh, for sure. For sure. Very, very interesting. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Um, You were going to tell us a little bit about the activity grab and go boxes too. Yes. So that came to me, and and there are lots of, um, I mean, I've seen some activity books in which, because I read through as many as I could, that have something a little similar around this. Um, The the biggest difference with mine is that I I was lucky enough to have this wonderfully talented school teacher that helped put some of these grab-and-gub activity boxes together so I could show you some examples in the book, and we... um, really utilize them with lots and lots of clients. I never had the opportunity to put one together for my mom, but the whole idea of these is to actually have something that you can bring with you that's in a box that ultimately, as people are still having some dexterity and can, you know, actually go into the box and pull out the thing, people feel kind of, they find it sort of fun to see, you know, it's almost like a treasure box, you know, what's in there, treasure chest. And so I give examples um, of, and and these can be, you know, these are very person-centered. I mean, I'd love to find somebody that could make these, sell them or something for families, but it's a great intergenerational activity because like, let's say you have a um, grandparent who is, was a fisherman and he loved fishing. Well, you know, you could have your, the kids could gather some of the sorts of things you could put into um, a fishing box and you might actually have a, a real tackle box mm-hmm. and then they could rummage through. And of course you want to make sure there's nothing that they could poke them and, you know, like some of the lures and the, and, and all that. And you could bring a, a fishing pole. Um, you know, there's just, you can get some fish that are sort of plastic and you could even put a little pool, a little child's pool and they could fish and that could even be fun. You can show pictures of past fishing trips, um, cut out pictures of from fishing magazines. I mean, there's so many YouTubes now. There's I on the iPad. So the idea with these boxes is that it, it becomes sort of fun and it's a, it's a way of triggering memories and, you know, different senses. And like the baseball box was a big hit with this one lady um, that I was working with who was a big New York, um, Mets fan. Mm-hmm. And she went to the game all the time, you know, with her husband. Um, and so when I, br- I'll tell you, I could not believe how excited she was when I brought a real mitt and she put it in her hand and she pounded, you know, on the mitt. And then I had a, a real um, ball so she could hold it. I didn't, I wasn't going to throw that with her, but I had a, another softball. And these were all things that were in the box uh-huh. so that she would, you know, pick them out. And um, in the joy that was on her face. And the lovely thing about these is that, you know, they're portable. They're easy to carry with you. I have a, a really wonderful toolbox that I've used with men that, you know, especially folks that, you know, like tinkering and, and all that. And I mean, even people towards the end of their disease, if they're still able to focus a little bit, can enjoy handling some of this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. Um 
so they're they're just lovely ways and particularly if you have like I had friends that wanted to visit my mom but they didn't know her that well and so if I had an activity box that I could have given them a grab and go mm-hmm. it would have been easier for them and maybe more meaningful for both of them for to visit with my mom yep yeah I know our um our li- a couple of our libraries in the area are involved with our dementia-friendly community in Roseville, Minnesota. And so Shore- mm-hmm. Shoreview and um, Roseville are now doing activity kits that people can sign up. And they're not, they don't have as many things as your boxes do um, just for logistics purposes and things. But they have a piece to, to engage. They have an informational piece. They usually have either an audio or a video piece in there as well. Mm-hmm, that people mm-hmm. can keep. And just... Yeah, I mean, it, it's and, and these boxes are also, again, I, I often say to families, um, when you can, particularly if you're if you're visiting with somebody in a, in a facility, you know, the more you can maybe bring one other person around with your family member, so that you have, you know, like two or three of you, it kind of takes the focus completely, you know, so it's not just on the two of you. Um, I did a seashell, seashore box, and this man was just in heaven. I mean, he loved the feeling, the sand in his hands. He, he just spent, you know, at least an hour organizing all the different shells. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I had the shells that you can listen to, you know, to hear the sounds. And we talked about the beach and, you know, there's music that you can, you know, take me out to the ball game. If you're doing ball game, this, there's what's amazing nowadays is that, um, and I tried to give some um, websites and things there's, so much out there on the internet in terms of bringing in materials for things like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's sad that people don't know how much is actually available, you yes. know, for support. And, and, yes. And that's kind of what I was hoping my book would be is sort of a trigger that, you know, the, and I mean, to me, the things that I, I, I think I did a little differently um, in this book than I've seen in other activity books, because there are a number of them out there, mm-hmm. is I try to really focus on helping families figure out as a person declines um, and loses a little bit more of their abilities, how do you adapt the activity? And if you noticed, um, Lori, I, I tried to do that, you know, so that you know, I have that dementia abilities continuum. Mm-hmm. And because I'm always looking at, even though people lose stuff, what do they still have left? You know, how can we, you know, continue to reinforce the things they still have going for them and um, include that in when, you know, we're spending time. And so I tried in my book to take each of those categories and show somebody who's more abled, less abled, and unabled mm-hmm. because even people mm-hmm. unabled like that doctor I shared still able to appreciate spending some, you know, feeling my, my presence near him, you know, that's called a healing presence. And so I, I really tried to do that. And then the only other thing I, I really want to point out here that is, I will actually say is a little bit missing in my book. If I were to do it again is to spend a little bit more time for, with a section on how do you visit when somebody doesn't want you to be there? Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, if you have somebody that is just not happy, you know, they're on top of having their dementia, they're always agitated, they're restless, they're pacing, um, they can't stay focused, you know, how, or, you know, how do you, how do you spend meaningful time with them? And um, I think that there are ways to do that, but again, I noted with my own mom that, you know, one, I had to evaluate whether she might have needed some medication that we had to, to do just to sort of uh, calm her down just a little bit, you know. And then I knew that it was important to go um, when there wasn't so much, um, when she was at her best and, I, and the environment was a really important piece of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was too distracting, too noisy, too hot, you know, when people are, usually when people are showing these behavioral, we call them expressions, and I have it in the book a little, it's really because they're trying to express something they can't express, you know? Yep. And I think that's another whole area that we could focus on sometime is just, you know, when people are saying, I want to go home, I want to go home, 
um, you know, how do you work with folks around that? How do you try to help them feel more at ease? And I always say, you know, I always would say to my mom when she said that to me, you know, mom, I love you so much. You built, you made such a lovely home for me. And I would try to talk about home instead of focusing on she wants to go home, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Now, in, um, I can't believe our hour is just flying by here. Can you talk about, you also have tips for visiting at end of life, which is, I think, just such a struggle for so many families. And, and for me, you know, personally, I just, I, I loved going there for that because I just saw this, this peacefulness and I, mm-hmm. I felt this, um, I don't know, almost great resolve and, and, um, like super connection between myself and the person who was dying, no matter who it was. But that's, I I know that that's not normal for, for most people, but for me, I just always, even though I might be sad, I still found great peace in being there for someone who, who was at the end of life. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, I, I see it as a very sacred time. It's, you know, it only happens once, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a, you know, just like birth in a sense. And I, I love my core that I have here. The end of life can be a mixed blessing, a sacred time and a time marked by great sadness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think as a therapist, you know, I'm always saying to families that, um, you know, this is a sacred time and it is going to ha- be a mixed blessing. I mean, there's going to be some, ver- you know, a lot of discomfort and, and hopefully, you know, the goal is to try to find ways to be at ease as much as you possibly can. And, and so I think, you know, honest and truly, some of it is the person themselves. I mean, so much of the way we connect and the way we relate is who we are as people. And so it's so important for people to recognize how they feel about their own dying and how they feel about the person they love dying and kind of getting in touch with that for themselves. And then if they can kind of work that through for themselves spiritually or, you know, through a counseling, if they need that, then you open yourself up to this most precious, special, wonderful experience, even, even though not all death is, is always so easy, you know? Um, But I think in terms of what I try to do is think about making that environment comfortable. You know, I want it to smell good. And so nowadays you can get these um, aromatherapy and particularly lavender misters. They're Mm -hmm. wonderful. They're very soothing. Um, You know, listening to soothing music, you can bring, I brought my iPhone with Jim and we, and I would, I would lie in bed with him actually. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we would just listen to music together. And even when he was getting in that place of, you know, I felt like he was starting to, to go away. I, I just, you know, slowed it down and I would rub his hands and, you know, just very gently. Um, I, you can hire a music therapist because music is the last thing to go in a person's um, brain. And that can be a lovely thing. Um, there's a lot, you know, I would wash my mom's face with nice smelling soap, you know, in a warm cloth and um, sometimes reading passages from the Bible or other spiritual books can be, you know, hold meaning for people. Um, I even had the rabbi come for my mom because we're Jewish. And, and even though my mother wasn't super Jewish, it was really sweet. She did a very lovely prayer for for the both of us. So there's, there really are lots of ways if people are open to it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Very, very. It's just a wonderful book. And Nancy, you've really um, put a lot of thought, not only into the content, but the way it's designed. And I think people are just going to find this extremely useful. Um, How do people get the book? What's the best way? Well, um, I I self-published this one. So it's it's basically um, in Barnes & Noble, I know for sure, and on Amazon. And I tried to keep it as, as inexpensive as possible. Um, so basically, all they have to do is pretty much get on either Barnes & Noble or Amazon. They can certainly even go to their own um, independent bookstore if they want to. And um, in the Atlanta metro area, I'm actually doing Meaningful Connections workshops for families. Oh, cool. Which has really been fun. Um, the families are loving it, and I'm loving it, and it's just awesome. 
So, um, but yeah, and there, and people are always welcome to, to email me if they'd like to, you know, if they're having a particular struggle mm-hmm. or have mm-hmm. a question or something like that. So, um, when you do these, um, workshops for families, is it, is it the care partner and the person with dementia or is it just for the care partners? Well, I've done a kind of a combination. That's a great question. Um, I often will do them mostly for the care partner, but when I go, I'm actually taking this book and going into to, um, assisted living communities and memory care, and I'm doing it with the staff. Okay. Um, and I'm also bringing it into home care because I'm trying to, you know, with home care in particular, you know, when you've got a one-on-one with somebody, you don't want them just sitting around. You want them to engage with the person. So that's how I, I've been using, utilizing it in terms of working with the residents or the, you know, in the assisted living or um, I haven't actually sat with care partners on a one-on-one, um, which would be a lovely thing for me to do too. At some point, I'd like to do that. Okay. Well, wonderful. Well, this has just been a, a, a great show and I so appreciate the time that you've taken to, uh, to spend with us today, Nancy. Again, her book is called Meaningful Connections, Positive Ways to Be Together When a Loved One Has Dementia. And you're not going to be disappointed in this book. Um, I think it's really going to make you frame things in an easier light and take some of the struggles off of what, you know, what do I need to do and how how can I do it and, and just giving you ideas for what to do as well. And I think you'll be surprised at what uh, what is an activity because I think sometimes we get stuck with what mm-hmm. our perception of an activity is. We think it has to be out of the norm and something special. Yes. And a lot of yes. these are just everyday things that we do mm-hmm. that we can do together. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, that's, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. And they can go to your website, Geriatric Counseling, uh, or Consulting, Consulting Services.com, Geriatric Consulting Services.com. Is there any other um, information that you would like to give them? I don't really think so. I just, you know, my hope is that they, the people will just open themselves to trying something a little different and, you know, um, it, it will be a real gift for mm-hmm. them. And I just hope that, that, that that's what they get from this today. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, thanks for being with us, Nancy. Appreciate it. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Um, Again, I want to just invite people to join us on our dementia-friendly cruise and symposium, November 11th through the 18th. Uh, there's still time to sign up. Just go to alzheimerspeaks.com, and you'll see information right on our front page there. Uh, if you are a business and would like to donate for the cruise um, or sponsor the cruise, uh, there's still time to do that as well. Just reach out to me at Lori, L-O-R-I, at alzheimerspeaks.com. Some people are just donating uh, different products and books for for giveaways and things. Uh, I also want to just remind people that all of our shows are archived. So, we, you know, we've been doing this, what, six, seven years now. So there's plenty to listen to. So um, feel free to go back and and hear um, all the wonderful information that people around the world have shared Our last Dementia Chats, which is uh, an interview platform that's videoed uh, where I interview people with dementia, Uh, we talked about the impact of humor and laughter when people are living with dementia. In fact, I got one activities um, director who wrote me and said, every activities department needs this for their training um, just to be able to put things in perception. And I think it's really great for families and and anybody who has a friend or a loved one or a coworker that they're dealing with, things change, and you'll get some great insights. There's also on our blog a wonderful video that uh, has uh, it interviews children, and they discuss um, having a parent or grandparent having dementia, which I think will be really touching. And then our friends at Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation are putting on a brain longevity therapy training session that'll be October 19th through the 22nd and you can find information on that Uh, last I'm going to wrap up with just a shout out to um, some people who are sponsoring and um, the cruise 
um, the Memory uh, Cafe directory with calendar cards uh, and memory joggers. And then uh, Trin Rose Seeley is donating uh, a book of hers. Um, Lola is uh, donating a couple of art kits that we're very excited about. And then uh, John Hopkins has donated um, quite a bit, uh, quite a few books, uh, the last edition of the 36-Hour Day, and also A Loving Approach to Dementia Care, um, as well as the uh, Footprint ID uh, company is going to be making some donations there too. So very excited about all of that. I hope you guys have a blessed week, and we'll talk soon. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.